Hey there, buddy. This is episode 164 of the Becoming Human podcast. This episode features Logan Tyler. He's an adventure guide for children and adults, and he's the founder of Basecamp Ore. Tyler loves to dry tool, rock, and ice climb, and he's a skateboarder. In this episode, we talk about what a life of climbing, guiding, and living does to a person. He had had a severe accident in 2016 that prevented him from living the lifestyle that he loved. In this episode, we talk about uh, his experience from the accident and uh, what he learned from it. Before we get to the episode, here's a few words from Doris Lessing's book, The Golden Notebook. All sanity depends on this, that it should be a delight to feel the heat strike the skin, a delight to stand upright, knowing the bones moving easily under the flesh. Without any further ado, here's Logan. I started this company, I started a skateboarding uh, manufacturing company called Red Mountain Riders. And Whoa. we made like longboards and skateboards. And yeah, it was, uh, I mean, I lost a ton of money and learned a lot, but it was a, uh, it was a great time, man. Yeah. I got, I got big love for skateboarding, man. I think there's a, a lot of lessons that can be pulled from, from skating for sure. So you're a bit of an entrepreneur then just in general. I, not by choice, but seems to be by destiny. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, that's cool. It'd be really fun to talk about that today. Cause I'm, you know, for, for me, that's, that's something that I really get along with. And, um, when I was growing up from that perspective, uh, I always thought my, I was somebody who didn't fit in, um, in like, it was really hard for me to do something that was an open-ended and yeah. I really like to do open-ended things, but the, most of the, like the entry-level jobs that I, um, would get into, it wasn't that way. And it was very clearly defined in like, you know, step by step process. And for me, it always felt like I was trapped. And I thought that that was like, you know, um, I was like lazy because I wasn't, you know, didn't want to in, have the impulse or the compulsion to work hard. And it was really difficult yeah. for me to push myself through that way. And then I like, I meet that, you know, that, um, that hardworking version of myself, that very committed version of myself in other kinds of work. And, you know, that's so meeting people like you and showcasing that, uh, and learning about how you, you found that direction would be really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Totally. I can absolutely relate to all of that, man. And, um, so with, um, is there any like particular story or experience from, uh, from skateboarding that you'd want to talk about on the podcast? Uh, I mean, I think, um, you know, like you, man, I definitely, uh, didn't always fit into the traditional box. You know, I wasn't so good at, uh, team sports and it's pretty bad at, you know, basketball and all that kind of stuff. And growing up here in a small town, um, you know, like we've got one paved street, Mm-hmm. and a really small skate park. But I think that that was like, um, the ground for like a, a lot of like creativity, you know? And, and I think that as an adult now it's, it's kind of shown me that, you know, you can do a lot with a little bit, 
And, um, you know, we had to get really creative, it's like skateboarding around here. Like at one point our skate park was super small. And so you'd have to like, put your board up, go and do one trick on like a quarter pipe and then get off. And, uh, then we were able to raise enough funds to like build another side to the ramp. And that was like a big wow. deal. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'd say I, I spent a considerable amount of days out there by myself skateboarding. And, um, I look back at that time now, and I think that I didn't really realize it then, but, uh, skateboarding is such a high flow activity and, uh, like climbing is, you know, and, and, and I think that any time that you can start to assimilate yourself with these flow states, um, that's when that, I mean, it's just like, you know, it's the nitro for, for creativity. So, uh, yeah, man, I, I skateboarding is something that I, I will always feel like is fundamental to, to kind of my path. Do you, do you find that the flow state from like a professional perspective, um, is, is useful or do you find that like you utilize the flow state in doing the things, not only that you're like passionate about, but the things that you need to do as well? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, um, I, uh, I started this business a couple of years ago, uh, and then brought in a business partner this last year. And I realized that when we go out and climb together, like on Mondays, we both have the day off. And so we go out and climb together and we don't talk about work until after we climb, usually like sitting in the truck on the way home or whatever it is. And it's so productive, man. Like kind of post flow, um, I find that the, the creative well that I pull from is, is really replenished. And I think that, um, it, it allows me to make decisions that aren't from a reactionary place. And I think that that's a really beautiful thing in that, um, if you're running on the hamster wheel all the time, whether it's in your own job or, or, you know, in your own life, it's very hard to objectively look at certain situations, in, you know, in, in your life and, and much less, you know, predict those. And so for Charlie and I, my business partner, we, you know, when we have these discussions post flow, um, our mind is in a great spot. Our needs are being met. And because we're in that state of mind, we can really, uh, come up with some of our best ideas. I mean, I think that, like you said, um, by having things open-ended and then having this flow state to start that off, it just seems to be incredibly beneficial, uh, for coming up with good ideas and, you know, being able to, to think outside of the box because you're not in your own box, if that makes sense. It does make sense. It's like setting the stage in a lot of ways. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, and it's, it's interesting that, um, there there's, we're very adaptable and we can pull, we're capable of so much, but at the same token, we're also able to find ourselves being very limited, um, you know, by lack of being able to do things so much so that, you know, if you decided to ride like a, a scooter around just for fun for maybe a year or two years and you tried to ride it around maximally, right? Like a little scooter that you can sit so you don't have to walk, you know, over time, like there's consequences that'll happen to that and your capability to be able to, to, you know, to move and to walk around, it'll regress because you get atrophy. Right. And there's yeah. like, there's a lot of experiences that you can see in the human experience that that's reflected in. Um, but the same is true in reverse, right? Like, as you start to, um, can experience like uh, incremental stress, it seems that we adapt and we change and like, that's true for the physical body. Um, it also appears to be true for um, the mind. And oftentimes we have this like, you know, work, 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 work mentality and that you have to be, um, you know, 40 hours, 60 hours a week um, for working. And sometimes you really have to 
put the pedal to the grindstone and just work a lot. But looking at your own self and how you can take care of yourself, doing the self-care and getting into things that are playful and not just useful um, seems to have a lot of value to you. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, I totally agree with that. I think that, uh, you know, one of the things that I've often said, uh, and I can't remember who said it, but um, it says, focus on being productive, not busy. And I think that, you know, um, that's a super important thing to remember is like, it's very easy, especially, you know, in our lives today with, with all of the opportunities that are out there, let's call them shiny objects. You know, it's like, man, I, you know, I am an entrepreneur and I, I love shiny objects. I love opportunities. I love networking. I love getting excited. I love taking a, a dream and making it a reality. These are beautiful things. However, um, if you get caught up chasing these shiny objects, you kind of forget where you're at. And I think that we see a lot of, you know, men and women our age and, uh, you know, and especially in America, um, chasing versus just simply receiving. And, and, and it is, it's very easy to be busy all the time. But when you look back on the macro, it's like, wow, you know, if 80% of my time is only yielding 20% of the results, maybe I ought to think about that. And, and, you know, I, I think that a lot of people have said, oh, well, you need to find balance, right? You got to find balance. And it's like, well, no, sometimes you got to go hard, you know, and, and, and maybe that is a balance over the grand scheme, but you know, sometimes you do, you got to fucking go hard on, on things. And that's not to say that you're out of balance. It just means that, you know, we only have so much energy and, and maybe some days we're our outputs here and some days it's up here, but in the middle there is presence. And, and I would say that that's equally as valuable as what you're producing with your time, because ultimately, you know, um, and I, and I, like most people, I think get caught in this idea of, okay, if I just get this shit done, I'm going to be happy. If I just make this sale, I'm going to feel good. If I can just get to this point, it's all going to be fine. And fuck, before you know it, man, you're, uh, you're dead. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> you know? and, 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 and then are you going to feel good? You know, mm -hmm. I don't know, man. And, and that's kind of a, it's a, it's like a, people don't like to address it. I mean, I think these are easy things to say. They're hard things to live by, but damn, is it important to remember that, you know, there's being busy, there's being productive, but then there's also being present and let's not, you know, sacrifice the presence of life for future happiness. <laughs> uh -huh. And that's where you get into this, um, how do you, the quality of life, uh, yeah. the art, the art of, of quality of life, because the one thing, one of the most powerful decisions that we all have to make on a day-to-day -day basis is, is how much are we willing to risk for the things that we want to do? And that that's every, like everything. If you want to eat something that's pleasurable, but maybe not good for you. Um, you know, if you want to like eat something that, um, maybe in the short term gives you a lot of gains, but in the long term, you know, it might not be good for you. I think of like, uh, the Maltradex, like the simple sugars that you use in the powders, those are like good for your body to, it takes it up really quick. But for someone who has gum disease, um, it, it like that it's just wrecks havoc on my mouth. For instance, yeah. I read a lot of research about how people have um, certain kind of not everyone, but some people have uh, like mouth issues over time from from consuming it. But it's but that doesn't mean it's wrong. That doesn't mean it's a bad thing or it doesn't mean it's a yeah. good thing because of how it's effective it is. Yeah. It just means that 
you know, what, what is important to you and the way that I think that you find that out, um, or at least the way that, you know, anyone finds it out is going out and experiencing a minimum and a maximum and finding your middle, you know, and I think it's interesting because in this life, we, we do have a lot of time, but we don't have all the time in the world and it's enough time to, work so much or, um, to spend so much time on something that you feel like you're losing yourself and then to spend, um, not enough time on anything so that you don't extract your potential. And then to realize that there may be something in between. And I think about this a lot with raising my son. And I think I thought originally my hope would be to, um, bring him into the world with a skill set so that he can deal with everything. So everything is moderately comfortable. And I realized that he doesn't really know what real, he has to learn what pain is and he has to learn what sorrow is and, you know, and, and anger and happiness and excitement and disappointment. And the, the terrible thing maybe is if I were implementing those things and, you know, getting excited at the suffering he were to feel. Um, but I think the other way would be to remove all of it so that he never has to feel any of those hard feelings at all. And these experiences like backpacking and climbing and skateboarding and maybe even painting or getting on stage and performing in front of people are opportunities to experience these minimum and maximums without a person imposing on it because they think it's a thing that you should do. Yeah, wow. No, that's really powerful. You know, I, I don't, I don't have, uh, I don't have any children yet. You know, it's definitely something that I'm 32, you know, like I, I own this business, you know, I have a home, I'm married and I, I can feel that like, and, and it's interesting, bro. Like, um, you know, when you're in your twenties, you're like so caught up in the vision of who you should be. And then as you get 30, you know, into your thirties, you start to kind of settle out and kind of come up with your own uh, moral compass, if you will. And, um, you know, I, I think what you said about feeling the emotions, you know, it's like, um, I, lo I lost a really good friend about a, two months ago or three months ago in a, like a skiing accident, he skied into a Kuar and I was pretty devastated. And, you know, these small mountain towns and, and really the climbing worlds get, you know, you're also connected. And so when you lose somebody like that, it, you know, the, the tribe kind of feels it. And I remember just being really upset about it. And I kind of reached out to one of my buddies who's always got some sage wisdom. And what he said to me, was pretty remarkable. You know, his response to that was at least we're lucky to feel the full spectrum. And, and I didn't really know what he meant by that. And then I thought about it and I was like, he's referring to the full spectrum of human emotion, you know, and, and just as we uh, can experience happiness, we can experience sadness. And, you know, uh, I think uh, um, a sound mind, a grounded mind uh, can feel the full spectrum and, and, uh, and ought not judge where on the spectrum we're at, but simply that there is a spectrum to experience. And, um, you know, it's funny, like, I had these big dreams when I was younger of being a professional climber and I didn't really care about anything else. All I wanted to do was just seek validation through climbing basically off of other people. And, uh, I got, uh, hit by a drunk driver in 2016. 
And uh, yeah, it was kind of nuts. This guy, uh, I was out in Missouri and this guy sideswiped me at like 70 miles an hour and spent like three days in a coma. And uh, oh my, my whole bottom jaw is all fake, actually. It's all titanium. My face hit the steering wheel and basically exploded. And then I spent about a year uh, recovering and multiple facial surgeries. I had my jaw wired shut for like six months. I was, Wait, I'm not a big guy. What was it like but, to have your jaw wired shut for six months? Well, it was crazy, man. Like it was really a one. I mean, I lost, I was down to 88 pounds at one point, which, I mean, I'm not a big guy, but still it was like, I, 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 my life was kind of miserable in the sense that I had to make smoothies and put it in a like syringe, choke it down. And then basically lay in the bottom of a shower for like an hour in pain and then repeat this cycle. And, um, it was really hard, man, but but I think that the beauty in that and the experience in that, and, and maybe this will resonate with, with the listeners is it, it was the most accurate and perfect manifestation of everything that I needed to learn physically playing out because I just talk, 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 always talking, always talking, never listening. And life just said, Logan, shut up and listen. And I'm going to make sure you listen. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to lie. Like the first three months were miserable and I was super angry at the guy that hit me and just had all this anger and I wasn't healing. And then I, uh, I met with this amazing woman and, and she said, this is your destiny. You know, you were supposed to go through this to help other people. And, you know, that really started to alleviate that. And, um, it was an incredible experience, you know, not only did it completely fundamentally change who I am and, and how I treat other people and especially people with disabilities. Mm-hmm. Um, because it was, it was funny, man, like, when my mouth was wired shut, I couldn't talk. I was always like talking like this, but then people thought that I had some kind of mental disability because they couldn't hear me. And it was unexpected. Like the way that people treated me, they would talk to me like I was like an eight year old because I couldn't articulate the words. Um, even though mentally I was just where I was, you know, and I'm not saying I'm the super smart guy, but I'm not, you know, totally out there either. Your whole perspective of how you associate to other people, right? Did that that send off like, uh, like thoughts of concern or distress when people would, would treat you that way? Or did you just like ride it off and like, this is what I got to deal with? A little bit of both. I mean, I, I think it, it really changed, you know, I think that, and, and luckily for most people that don't have to go through an experience like that. And of course, I think life slaps you in the face one way or another in many shapes or forms. I'm not going to put my situation over anybody else's, but, um, it, it also made me realize that, you know, you really connection is not so much about the words that we say, but how we say it. And it really emphasized that to me, you know, it was like, wow, uh, I, I'm still able to connect to my friends, but people that don't know me are interpreting the situation based off of the vocal input, not the intention. And, and so it really forced me now as, you know, recovered from that um, to really listen to people and not just listen to respond, but, but to really grasp what they're saying, you know? And I thought that was a real, I mean, the universe has an amazing way of, of teaching you those lessons if only you are to listen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Cause, cause right, it's at that point, it's not what you do, but how you do in that way. Totally. Just like it's not what you say really necessarily, but how you say it in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, that's, that's just wild to me because what I've realized is that 
the more that I do something like the more that I do things within my physical body, like climbing and running and all these other things, I, I develop like a relationship and a familiarity with my body. And the word, I think the big word is for that is proprioception, right? Like that, because oh, wow. that that's like, you know, when you throw a kettlebell in the air and they have this thing where you like juggle kettlebells and um, you throw a kettlebell in the air and you catch the handle. And then you throw it again and there's these more intricate uh, like configurations where you throw it like in a coffee mug style and spin it horizontally and catch the handle. People will put blindfolds on and then they'll catch the handle still. And the thing is, is that you're you have in your body this ability to, you know, have spatial awareness. Right. Um, But that's like proprioception. But for me, I've realized that that's like the from the like the emotional sense is you're you literally are developing a relationship with your body you're understanding how your body moves through space and the more time that you spend doing those activities the more the familiarity with your body you get and i would say that it doesn't go away until you die or until you stop um you know practicing but i realize that the more that i do this the more emotionally connected i am to my body the more attached i am so when i get hurt I have never, like, if I hurt my finger, I have never experienced such a profound sadness as I do now. Yeah. At being a climber yeah. and, like, you know, because it, me, it means something to me. And before when I was a kid and I'd hurt myself and I didn't have any physical, you know, culture, physical sports that I loved, um, when I hurt myself, I would just get to hang out and do what I loved, you know, which I would just watch stuff and chill and you know, play video games. Um, yeah. And now, like, if I hurt my foot or whatever, if I hurt my ankle, I'm not going to be able to run. And the more more and more that I do this, I think that it creates more and more tension, right? It doesn't have to be this way because I can allow that tension, just like sadness, right? I can invite it in and sit with it and not try to make it go away. I can just accept this fact. But the I see that now if I were to get into a car accident, it would be, and I was paralyzed, it would be way more devastating because, like, I climb now. I run. I back. Yeah. And if yeah. I didn't do those things, it would just be painful. Right. It would still be devastating because I could never pot do these possibilities. But having never done them, I'm not attached to them. If I were a painter and and my legs were to be broken or I was paralyzed um, and I can, you know, my lower body was and I can move my upper body. I don't know if I would experience such an um, powerful emotions at being not able, you know what I mean, to do these things. And so uh, it's an interesting dilemma that, that I think we, we get into as we become attached and passionate about activities and experiences in this life. Yeah, no. Um, yeah. I, I mean, that really resonates. I, I, I think that, um, you know, I, I, I read a lot of books and, and one of the more profound books that I read was called the 5am club, uh, by this guy named Robin Sharma. And, uh, it's an incredible book. And he's written several books in this same kind of style. Another one called the, the leader with no title. And, you know, there's an overarching theme in, in a lot of those books. And that really is about, you know, um, what activities or what 
things that we participate in that become our title. You know, I think that it's like, it's easy to say, Oh, I'm a, I'm a climber. That's what I am. I'm a climber. You know, it's like, well, no, like I'm, I'm Logan and there's actually a many different facets, you know, not only do I, I own this business and, but I'm not a business owner, you know, I'm still a, a human. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. It's uh, just the suit you put on. It's just a suit you put on, man. And, and, and that, that's totally in. And, and so like, I, I really like to like, um, you know, try to let go of things. Like I, I was climbing one time and I saw this guy and he would climb up to the top of the route. And then before he clipped the chains, he would just take the whip. And I asked this guy, like, what are you doing, man? And he's like, I don't want my ego to have that. So I'm letting it go. And I was like, fucking so blown away. I'm like, mad respect and, and like on a deep like warrior level yes bro like that is the truth and, and and i was so blown away by that like i didn't want my ego to have it you know and i just thought oh that is so that is such a a cool ethic to take on things like sometimes i think we get so fixated on like you know learning all the beta working the route and then you climb it and it's like oh look i said it is the world a better place? Have you improved the lives of anybody? Well, no, not necessarily. And, and to you, that, that does matter. And I'm not downplaying that. I mean, uh, setting out goals and, and, and achieving them is a great feeling and an incredible cycle to be in. But equally so, we have to be willing to let go of those things that we think define us. Because I think the definition of us is, a, is, a, is this beautiful uh, Shakespearean orchestra that's played out over the whole series of your life. It, you know, this, this idea that I'm going to wake up and think, today, I am the man that I wanted to be. It just will never happen. You know, it won't. It won't. It'll never happen. So I, I, I totally feel you, man. Like getting hurt sucks because you know that climbing is the conduit or let's call it the foundation to so many other great things in your life. And I think, you know, you and I might be similar. I don't know in the sense that I need uh, physical, you know, stimulation. I need those high flow activities, you know, if not, I would probably just go down a path of absolute drug addiction and, and dependency upon alcohol to, to cope. So, uh-huh. you know, you, you know, I, I definitely agree that I, I hold a lot of value into those activities, but I don't try to let them define me. But that that's the the interesting, uh, there's a dilemma that I think we have with people because you're, you're yeah. showing a dichotomy, right? Of like one extreme. Because I find that there's the other extreme where, which is this, sometimes we call them like a education, like fixed mindset, right? Is that you, people don't, don't participate in things or build a skill set or their attempt at building the skill set is like, you know, I can't do it. And that, you know, like that, that's something that, that like, I'm not able to, or that looks really intense. I'm okay. I don't want to do that. I don't want to try. And that fear of stepping out of your comfort zone and, and, and trying this, this new thing. And sometimes they could be one in the same, um, because it's wow. when you don't know how to do anything, um, not, it's not general education, but when you don't know how to do like a specific niche that people step up the plate to learn and become practiced in it. Like you become a climber one day you start to be able to lead. Right. And then other people who can't lead, you're someone who tells them how to lead. You do martial arts. Once you learn the fundamentals, someone's not going to know the fundamentals and you get to teach them the fundamentals. Um, it's, but in that initial phase where you're, it's a blank slate. Um, you have that trouble with getting people to like, to participate. And I see this with adults at the skate park and many adults are spectating and most of the children are playing. And I try to encourage, you know, like some 
uh, adults to like, let's go do those things. It looks really scary. I don't think I could do it. Or that's tiring. Or it's for the kids. And I'm like, you know, plays like a, a fundamental thing to who we are. You don't have to like the thing that I like, but um, how do you know if you haven't tried it? Right. Yeah. But then what happens when you get into something, you know, rock climbing, skateboarding or whatever, there's a tendency we have to to feel the identification with the thing. But it is you're just like your accident. I would never wish that on anyone. And I'm really sorry you had to go through that. But there's a grace. There's an opportunity in that experience because it shows you like you identify with it and. I would imagine it makes you feel good once it does for me when I'm like, oh, I can climb. Look, guys, I climb. Look, come and sh- do the climbing thing with me or let's go climb together. Look at my accomplishments. And then and it's like, oh, with or without those accomplishments, I am who I am identifying, yeah. doing this activity consistently to where I feel like I am this thing gives me rewards or gives me enriches the quality of my life in some way. But if I fully give into that and identify with that thing, then I know that it could be taken away or I know that I become dependent on it. And just like if you're with alcohol or right with food and you're like, I have to have cake to feel good. And if I don't have cake, I'm in distress. If I have to have beer to, to end my night. And if I don't have beer, I'm in distress. I'm a drinker. I think you're caught. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely, man. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and yeah, that's, that's a really good way of putting it, man. And I think you're right about the whole play aspect. You know, it's interesting how we get older. We tend to delegate such luxuries to younger people as if our time has passed. I think that that fundamentally can be a very toxic ideology. You know, it's like, no, you are deserving of a good time and you should be vulnerable. And I think that as we get older, that, that shell kind of hardens up a bit and, and we forget about the, the, you know, the flow or the, the, the liquid nature of, of how we should be, you know, it's almost as if people's insecurities become their, uh, entitlement, you know, and, and that's, a uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think, I think you're absolutely right. You have to, you have to find some kind of passion, you know, and with, with the, the guiding scene, it, it's a really great opportunity to find out what people are actually searching for. You know, I think that quite often we are in a situation where the climbing that we're taking them on or the, these via Ferrata trips or whatever it is that we're guiding, it's just the catalyst to, to an inner desire, you know, like the climbing is just the conduit. Um, you know, but, but we want to know what, what are you really there for? What, what story, uh, are you trying to be a part of or, or, or create, you know? And I, it is like, I definitely see that so much of what we do is predicated on this personal story that we create based off of a maraud of events in our lives. And, and I think that's where, um, why it's so interesting to read books and to watch movies, right? Because like there, we are living out this personal narrative. The thing that's interesting is, is that, or a, a thing that I find wonderful about these experiences is that it's a way to almost write your own narrative. And it's because yeah. you don't know, like you don't, this thing that people get a lot with fighting is like, um, and there's even cops. I've heard this in the police force where like, uh, I have like a friend and he's a cop and he's a martial artist. Right. And he's been doing, he's got his black belt in jujitsu and he gets black belt in judo. Um, and you know, he loves martial arts and he, he tells me that, yeah, there's like people on the force and they'll be like, I bet I could beat you in a fight. And he's like, 
you've never professionally fought. Like you've never trained martial arts. And it's like, Oh no, I could beat your butt. I could kick your ass. And it's like, that's like going up to a painter and being like, I know you've been painting for 20 years, but I can paint just like you. And it's like, yeah. you know what I, and, um, what do you call it? These, these experiences that we have are just really in enriching and, um, and they can introduce you to aspects that you're not aware of. Because when you see that situation, I see someone who's not aware of their own potential if they were to practice. And, and I see someone who doesn't have a certain amount of knowledge of what it's like to be um, in climbing. How many people have understand what fear is like to them? How many people have like been in a situation to where something was actually felt scary um, to the point where they're sweating or they got the sewing machine leg and in a year they were able to do it with confidence and joy and excitement, you know, like driving might be the one thing that we all get as a culture. And that, that, that only lasts like when you're, you know, 16 to 18 for, a year and then driving to all of us is like, it's pretty, it's really dangerous, but driving driving doesn't feel like going for a climb. Like driving doesn't challenge us emotionally. Not, um, not to that degree anyways. Well, yeah. And, and, uh, another, uh, author that, that wrote an incredible book, man, you should definitely read is called the art of impossible by, uh, Stephen Cutler. Cut- Cutler. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. Cutler, maybe, uh, it's an incredible book. And, and, and in that he talks a lot about, you know, flow and, and how that affects us. And, um, you know, and, and, and really about the fear mechanism itself. And something that, that I've kind of taken from that is that, we often believe that fear is a lack of control, you know, that fear comes from a lack of control. However, I, I, I'm starting to understand that really fear is predicated on the idea that you can control. And I think that that's something that's so remarkable about climbing is, is that you often do your best climbing when you care the least about falling, you know, and like you said, it's these paradoxical dilemmas, if you will, that, that we have to go through. And, and it's interesting because every climber's experienced this, you get to a vault or a a place, a piece of gear or whatever it is. And this same scenario plays out every time. Can I do it? I don't know if I can do it. I'm kind of pumped. Should I do it? Maybe I should, you know, and then there's this dialogue that happens and it happens in an instant and then doubt and fear slip in and you say, not I'm scared. You say, I can't. And, and, and that moment is very key there because when we do send, there is no inner dialogue. And so the, the lesson that I try to take from that and try to employ in all aspects of my life is if fear comes from a lack of control, which is really coming from a, a need to control, then I ought to just observe and react from that place of observation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because I think that like, if we think of our emotions like bolts or a piece of gear, well, you're placing that you're making that conscious decision to move forward. Mm-hmm. However, and climbing is a beautiful parallel to life in this way. Your conscious decision to move forward is predicated on the risk. It is part of it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think that, you know, uh, and, I, and I'm stretching a, a little bit here, but I, I really think that the overall theme is that life is both a, um, an acknowledgement of failure, an acknowledgement of fear, an acknowledgement of our weaknesses, and also um, a 
unrestrained, unrestrained, you know, uh, a letting go and allowing our grace, our beauty, our passions, uh, our excitements to then flow through. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we're constantly kind of shifting into this place. And, you know, I, I work with, uh, an incredible, uh, business coach and, 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 and it was a life coach, uh, this guy, Scott Rowley from uh, peak prosper. And they're, those got the whole company is in, incredible. And I was lucky enough to, to work with Scott and I've been working with him for like two or three years now. And it's so powerful in, in that, having a a life coach, a business coach to objectively look at my life and say, okay, these are the goals that I want to achieve. And I'm telling this to him. And then he's saying, okay, well, let's address these habits that are leading to those goals. And, and just as I've noticed like weaknesses in my climbing, like, uh, I'm not very good at bumping my left hand really high or whatever that is. I see the same systematic or repetitive imbalances in other elements of my life. And, and, and so I would just like, I would encourage people to, to pursue that coaching thing. I think there's a lot of faux pas around it these days because everybody wants to, to be a Tony Robbins. But mm-hmm. where I'm going with this is that, you know, having outside input has really helped me stabilize that between power and control and fear and grace. Yeah. And I, I see that with um, like, there's like talk therapy. Uh, one thing that I've heard, heard from that is it's not even just the not, it's not really the knowledge that you're bringing to the table as much as it is the act of, of telling you're getting an outside perspective um, and, and, and getting someone that you trust in that way. And, and then they can see the patterns and stuff that you normally can't see, you know? And that's why it's like for everyone out there, just to advocate for life coaching and business coaching, you even have this within the movement world to where like, if you record yourself, you know, you're able to see how you're actually doing, which is oftentimes can be, you can calibrate it to how you feel, you know, and if I'm doing yoga, then I realize that I might not be moving parts of my body. I thought I was. Um, and even though you think you feel that way, sometimes it really helps to calibrate your feelings, you know, with, with data. But what's more is I think it really helps to calibrate your feelings, um, and your experience with other people. And especially someone who, you know, who has experience um, to be able to do that themselves so that they don't get in your way while they do it by by being a Tony Robbins, like obsessing over that. Right. Or being a bad actor in that sense. So, yeah, that that is that is that that's nail on the head, man. I mean, like you said, to kind of, you know. Like, I love my friends. I love my family. I love my mm-hmm. community. You know, I'm, I'm all about it. And, and there are many beautiful lessons to be had in those interactions. The problem is, I think when you're like a really passionate person um, and you got a lot of ideas, like my friends and family, they won't tell me the truth because they love me and care about me. Mm-hmm. And it's like, sometimes I need somebody to say, no, Logan, this isn't the way yeah. that's not going to work. You know, um, you're, you're thinking about this the wrong way, you know? And, um, and that's where I think I get a ton of value out of it is that, you know, um, it's hard for us to, to, to give our friends, you know, honest feedback. It's hard for us to give our family honest feedback. It's like you said, it's, it makes it very difficult to calibrate because they're a part of, of your compass, you know? And, um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I think it is. Uh, the coaching thing is really remarkable and, and, and I would definitely, you know, for anybody that's out there, you know, whether it's peak prosper and Scott Rowley and Mike Morelli or, 
um, you know, any of those coaches that are out there, you know, it's something worth pursuing, man. Cause I think that there's just, there is so much value in investing in yourself in that way. You know, it's like, if you're going to eat right, you know, you're going to reap the benefits of that. If you're going to climb hard and, you know, go out and train with, with the boys or whatever, you're going to reap the benefits. But if you're also going to invest in, like you said, you know, um, reaching out to these kind of mentors, you're, you're going to reap the benefits of that. And, uh, it, it has really been an incredible process, man. I mean, I've gone from, you know, highs and lows. There was one point in my business where we had 55 cents in the account. Um, this was like right when COVID hit, you know, my climbing gym was shut down and we didn't have the guiding hadn't really taken off yet. And, you know, there I was 55 cents in the bank account really with fear or with, with failure being very eminent. And then all of a sudden I stayed in it, kept pushing in, kept leaning into the fear you know, um, kind of a three feet from gold situation. And then it was the most profitable summer that we've ever had. So, you know, I think that the lesson there is just whatever you're doing in your life, don't think about your success in these, you know, as this linear path that, that really it's this overarching wave or as peak, as peak prosper puts it peaks and valleys. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that that's a, that's a great way to, to, to see it all. It's like, whenever I feel like everything's crashing down in my life, mm-hmm. I kind of get excited. Cause I'm like, yeah. Oh good. Like it's giving me the, the shit before yeah. it gives me the good stuff. You know, like I'm going to ride this thing out and I'm going to, I'm going to be happy about it. It's like that wild, uh, you know, Jocko, uh, yeah, God, like, Jocko Willing. You know, yeah. Jocko Willing. Yeah. And he's a badass. And like his whole thing of like, you know, don't have your, Oh, we joke about it with climbing. Like forgot your harness. Good. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> forgot uh, your rock climbing shoes. Good. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's, but it is that mindset of like, sometimes shit is going to go awry. You need to embrace it. And, and you need to take the, the ups and the downs. Um, I, I, I think know. we're compelled. I think we're compelled to manage that too, because like that get really having a, a deep down, as long as you're not, really just intentionally trying to do it on yourself. Like, I don't know, like self mutilation or something like that, but like deep, deep down the further you, the further of a bottom that you hit, man, even just a little, little thing, a little, like a little nice, you know, high or anything like that, or a nice thing from your son, it creates like a new, a new baseline for your highs. And, yeah, and that's yeah, like, yeah. And, and, and yeah, you got to have lows to have highs. Totally. Yeah. And every kind of movie that you watch, you know, that's where it gets is like, it's the same thing. And that's what a good story is, you know? And that's, I think if you live life, like, uh, I do like to be present, but I also like to reflect on my life. If I were to read it like a narrative, how do I want it to go? You know, yeah. and, and an exciting story, it doesn't always have great things in it. Um, a real scary story is when you have people doing terrible things to each other. But a story that I love that I would embody is, is overcoming obstacles and challenges in life with, with heart and with character, because all I can choose is the character that I bring into it, you know, and I do that with climbing too. I have people who, who want to turn around or people who, who want to push really hard. Cause I got like summit fever, um, or just a, you know, nice day out in the mountains and all of that, everything that I have that's consistent is the character that I bring to the table because I can't change wow. the weather. I can't change even my partner's disposition. They might be sick. I can't change the landscape, whatever it is. I can't even change if there's fires. I can only look within myself and see the character that I portray outward. Um, wow. And uh, just there's one thing that I was really interested in uh, before we come to a close is ice farming. 
Oh yes. <laughs> so, um, do you have enough time art to of ice farming? Give me a rundown of what ice farming is. Yeah. Oh man. I mean, it, it could be a whole nother episode just talking about ice farming and that whole experience. But, um, you know, ice farming is not something that you can watch on YouTube and learn how to do or read a manual. Um, it simply isn't that way. And the closest thing that I could probably compare it to is there was a show in the late nineties, early two thousands called junkyard wars. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anybody <laughs> seen that, but, um, it, ice farming is very much like junkyard wars. It, it's this beautiful thing of, of destruction and creation. So in Uray, we've, uh, have an incredible unique asset, which is the Uray ice park. And it just happens that the topography lends itself to, to making ice and that we, t- we have two water tanks that are about 2000 feet up the hill. Those flow down to a junction station. And then we, Basically, without using pumps, just using a Bernoulli's effect, uh, really, uh, the water then pressurizes up the system, uh, up the canyon about a mile and a half, and then down the canyon a mile and a half. And anywhere where there's a low point in this two-inch pipe, we have a drain set up there. And then um, off the two-inch pipe that the water's traveling through is another half-inch kind of uh, galvanized pipe with a showerhead nozzle on it. And so at night, at four o'clock every day, we turn on the water we pressurize the system, start spraying the water over the edge, but it must be just right. The temperature must be right. The wind must be right. Um, you have to adjust the size of the droplets based off of the conditions. And, um, over 300,000 gallons of water at night is poured off these cliffs. And, but each route is like its own little thing. And so where it ties into the farming aspect is that the crop, these ice roots Uh will tell you, They'll tell you. And, and, and you have to, you have to bond the ice to the rock the right way so that it stays good. And, you know, we're building massive, we'll call them WI from WI two to WI five terrain, you know, two and a hundred to 120 feet long ice routes, um, that build from the bottom and, and, and kind of create it all the way up. And then, Whoa. and then of course the climb to climb it is incredible, but, um, they there's a lot the, of, wait, they build from the bottom. So what there's a well, water as we, and- yeah, if this is like the edge of the cliff here, as the water is then sprayed over and falls all the way down to the bottom of the cliff, the water droplets have had time to slow down and therefore they've cooled. Uh-huh. So there's almost like a sublimation process. And then as the, as, the, as the ice starts there, that water hits that ice, then it cools. And then it kind of builds and builds and builds and builds and builds until you get it to connect on the top. And now you have this eight foot thick ice route. Um, and it's, I mean, and it can happen in a, in a, in a week of the right conditions, we can build the entire ice park equally. So you've got 300 people climbing it. So it can be incredibly difficult to, to maintain that, but wow. you know, your just as happens to have the right ingredients, which is very unique for that to occur. I mean, the Canyon is, uh, you know, kind of Northwest facing. So you are East facing. So you have, um, you know, mostly in the shade for a lot of the areas and yeah, I mean, it's, wow. uh, you can go to the Uray ice park website and they've got lots of videos and, yeah. um, all kinds of stuff oh, that, that will cool. elaborate on the process a little bit more, but it's, it's really cool. It's really incredible. You know, I, I kind of grew up with the ice park. I grew up here in Uray and the ice park has been around for about 25 years and I've lived here for 32. And so the first time I went climbing there, I was eight years old and I was, I've, as I've grown up and then I became the manager for, for a couple of years, um, 
it, it was incredible to be a part of that. You know, it's like, there's a lot of camaraderie with the other ice farmers. I mean, you're out there six in the morning, shutting off the water, but sometimes the pipes freeze. So you're getting soaking wet in sub zero temperatures, trying to put together this system of kind of a modge podge of pipes and pieces. And, you know, sometimes a, a mile of pipe will freeze and you'll have to take it apart and rebuild it. And it's just oh one thing God. after another. It's um, crazy, but, man. Yeah. So uh, can you, can you give me just one sec? I'll yeah, be right absolutely. back. Sorry about that. Go for it. No worries. Um, and so, so your guys just, um, you guys are based out of in URA and you have like this whole adventure camp and you guys offer ice climbing, have ice climbing in the winter and then rock climbing in the summer and the Via Ferratas and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And then we also, um, yeah, so we have like the bouldering gym, but then we also turn it into like a dry tooling cave in the back in the winter, which is super fun. And like, you know, dry tooling is like the dirty stepchild of sport climbing. And, uh, I, I fucking love it, man. Uh, there's a lot of choss here in your And so we've developed these big chossy caves for dry tooling, which, uh, is fucking awesome, man. Like, um, that style of climbing is super fun. I, I really enjoy it a lot. Um, cause I just love doing cool moves and like clipping bolts and stuff. And so the dry tooling is just, uh, it's a blast. Like, uh, I think it gets a bad stigma, but it's so much fun. It's the, the sensory, uh, like the sensory feeling of, of that is, it's so wild. Like you're not swinging into the ice. You're just setting the tool, uh, on these holds. And, and so it's almost like uh, climbing with Braille, like the input is a different experience with rock climbing. It's like, you can feel the hold, you can feel yourself slipping off. Um, with this, you're like, you've got this huge jug in your hand and you would think that with such a good handle, you wouldn't get pumped, but you get crazy pumped because you're climbing this big steep overhanging terrain and doing moves that that are four or five feet in between each other and you know putting your leg over your arm and figure fouring and it's uh it's incredible man it's it's super fun if you uh if you ever get the chance you know i want to do that you ever run your egg come by and see us yeah it is so much fun man it's it's a great time I, i really enjoy it a lot that's cool, man. Well, next time uh, we should do a round two and should talk about do that, uh, man. ice climbing and dry tooling because I've never done any of those things and I'm super interested about them. And as I do yoga more, I've realized that like there's, you know, doing like class three scrambling or class like two scrambling even and doing all these like hands and feet things, parkour and climbing and stuff. It's just different ways to move and different like different orientations of space yeah. you know so yeah, i think that'd be totally. cool to talk about yeah yeah absolutely man absolutely all right thank you so much for um being a guest on the show where can people check out more about um your guys's uh programs and stuff yeah uh yeah no they, thanks a lot this has been a lot of fun man i, I really enjoyed this um you can go to uh basecamp uh you can see like kind of all of our service offerings and, and the guides that we have um you can uh you know definitely check check me out i'm on facebook uh, logan tyler uh, basecamp uh we're on instagram as basecamp as well uh and yeah uh uh, I really appreciate the opportunity, man. This has been a really great conversation. It's so cool to be able to uh, just like jump right into this. And, and, you know, although we don't know each other, I think there's a, a mutual understanding and respect. And, and I, I think that's, what's so cool about your podcast is, is and so fitting for the name, you know, that, 
that, that we all are, are human. And, and I would just kind of want to leave with this one thing, you know, and that really is that, you know, you're, whether you're a climber or you're a skateboarder or you're into jujitsu or whatever it is, ultimately you are a human and, yeah. and don't let your activities uh, or your actions necessarily def define you, you know, um, because you're not, you're not just a title, you know, you're, you're, you're experiencing the, the, the human, uh, interaction. So, uh, thank, thanks a lot for, for having me on, man. I really appreciate it. Absolutely, man. And I appreciate your perspectives and thank you so much for your time. Logan. Yeah. Likewise, man. See you, brother. Right, sweet. See you later. See ya. Thanks, friends, for listening to this episode of the podcast. It was great to be able to talk to Logan about his experience spending his life essentially rock climbing and skateboarding and building a habit of finding flow. And it's beautiful because there's these experience out there, experiences out there that are so powerful, they compel you to be in a flow state. Um, and it's it's out there for everyone. I mean, you know, juggling kettlebells is one of my favorite things. If you don't even have a kettlebell, go find a big rock. I mean, don't hurt yourself. But, well, you know, we all try to be safe, right? You find a big rock and try to throw it and catch it <laughs> and you won't you'll have a hard time doing anything but thinking about the present moment and being in flow and you can check out more about um, Logan at basecamporay.com you find the link to Stephen Kotler's book in the show notes or on the website becomingHumanPodcast.com. check out scott rally's service at peak prosper he's really helped logan tyler and quite a few other men and you can even check out the podcast that we did together which is episode 163 and i left a link to that in the show notes as well Oh, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. If you want to support the show, go over to becominghumanpodcast.com and drop a comment, share it with a friend, post it on social media, and you can even subscribe to our newsletter. I'm going to play you out with a song called by Idea called Tumbling Down. It's I really like the content. The execution's pretty cool too. It's an older song, uh, but I hope y'all enjoy it. Bye. I'll never forget that day. The reflection of the cave in the river. The day we accidentally broke the models. Dead, alive, sleeping, awake, and genuinely afraid that there would be no tomorrow. I didn't see it coming. I must have been blind. I never knew that space existed without time. There's just some places that you're not supposed to find in the deep, dark halls of the mind. Of the mind. You're never not you. That's the trick. And these zombies walk around not comprehending how it feels to float in the realm where everything is nothing and you consider taking your life just to prove death is real. Well, there's no devil outside the three of us. Yet no one talking about it. We didn't need the stuff, but we paid the fare and we took the train. Three teenagers helping each other go insane. We were so excited for that day to come around. Just wanted to have fun like the average high school clown. The words can't explain exactly what we found in the tumbling down the walls came tumbling down the walls came tumbling down came tumbling down came tumbling down you guys know that no one
someone outside us will ever understand it. Truthfully, I don't even think that we do. It's like thinking about thinking and watching your head orchestrate the reality with the absence of ego. I can't explain it. I can't find the words. The world probably thinks we're disturbed. But when I stood up on those rocks, I was in hell. And y'all were both there with me. By your faces, I could tell. And I admit, it was dangerous. We could have fell behind a trap door and never got out. But the fact that we did, see, that means we're strong. The experience was all well worth it, no doubt. We never have to go there again. have to go there. Maybe we only made it back by pure luck. But if I was asleep my whole life, when I finally woke up, at least I knew that existence was nuts. We were so excited for that day to come around. Just wanted to have fun like the average high school clown. But words can't explain exactly what we found. And the walls came tumbling down. 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 Came tumbling down. Came tumbling down. Came tumbling down. We ain't ever gonna look at anything the same. Perception, animation, happiness, pain. I still feel like I'm sitting on that bench and nothing around me makes sense. I remember the rain and the night falling right before our eyes. Horrified in a universe we don't recognize. Let's not alter our nervous system for safety. Let's just watch ourselves paint ourselves in this painting. It's crazy, but at least now we know it. We can put together a puzzle with the piece we unfolded. The brain's a funhouse, a madman's playground. But I know myself, there's something I could really say now. I hope you both. Feel the same Each personal heaven can breathe forever And if we're insane Fuck it, we're insane At least the three of us are insane together